Well, Forefront, it's good to be with you. Hope you guys are all having a great weekend. Welcome. If you have your Bibles, let's grab those and open up to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 10. I want to say hello to anybody tuning in and, um, from home online this morning. Hope you guys are doing great. Hope everybody got a little sunshine yesterday. I was able to get a little bit. I know you can't tell. I got some work to do to get there, uh, but it was so nice. So it's good to be with you guys. Hey, if you've been with us the past three weeks, we've been uh, kind of running through a series called Clarity. And what we're doing as a church is we're asking God, really, God, who are you calling us to be? Like, God, what is it that you have us to do? What, what is this mission you're calling us on? And so we've really been camped out on this idea that, that in really this post-COVID world that we're in, God has given us a, a re- refreshed mission here at, at Forefront. And, and here's our mission, is to lead people to experience new life in Jesus. And to help you remember it, on your seat, you'll find a little coaster. So grab that, look, take that coaster home with you. And that will just help kind of memorialize what we're doing, what this mission God has called us to be, uh, to, to be on together. If you guys are tuning in from home, we've got a coaster for you, waiting for you. So uh, we can't wait to drop that off to you. So, but we've, he's got this mission that God has called us. And we keep exploring, so God, what does this look like to experience new life? And we keep coming back to John chapter 10. Where Jesus says this, he says, I came so you may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of God so we can have this abundant, new, full life. And it's the life that we all were created to live. That's the life that we all want to live. But what does that look like? What does that mean for us? And where do we go from here with this mission that God has called us on. And we, we've kind of been camping out in Matthew chapter 22, which is what we call a kind of famous section of Scripture known as the Great Commandment. And, and Jesus, in this Great Commandment, tells us the way to really experience this new life, to, to be the people he's called us to be, is to live upward, inward, and outward. And so we've, we've kind of taken these uh, one, one per week and just kind of worked our way through this. And um, here's really what Jesus is saying. He's saying in Matthew 22 this. He says that the, the greatest thing that we can be and the people that we are called to become are people who are growing in our love and affection for Jesus. And so Jesus said this in Matthew 22 when asked what's the most important part of the Old Testament law. Jesus just says this. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so we've been camping out on this idea that this is what new life looks like, is people who are ever growing in our affections for Jesus, people who are living upward, people who are growing upward. And as we begin to be those kind of people, we have questions to ask, like, what stirs my affections for you, Jesus, and what robs them? And so as people who are loving God and who are becoming people who love God more and more, what is the things that stir our heart for Jesus? Because we want to lean in and live into those things. And what are those things that rob our affections for Jesus? Because we want to get rid of those things. And so we want to ask that question. How how, how do we live our life? How do we spend our money? How do we spend our time? How do we hang out with our friends in ways that stir our affections for Jesus? So we're ever growing in our affection for him and growing and living upward. We talked last week about the fact that, that as we live upward, that God is doing something inside of us too. We begin to live inward. And we saw in Matthew 22, Jesus went on to say that the second most important thing is loving people. He says this. He says that uh, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so notice, we haven't even got to loving our neighbor yet. We've been talking about loving God and then figuring out how to Really, no one love ourselves because Jesus puts this qualifier on loving people. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we talked last week about how do we do that? How do we really come to know who we are, who God has called us to be? 
And, and so we said last week, we looked at the book of James. We saw James tells us that we, we find out who we are by looking at and gazing at the law of liberty, which is the, the, the gospel of Jesus. We look at God's word, and it, it tells us who we are. It shows us about ourselves, and we embrace that tension between who God says we are and who we see that we are. And we realize that God has so much for us. And then as we stare at the law of liberty, God shapes us and molds us into being the people he's created us to be. And so there's this natural flow now that, that as we experience this new life, we come to, to know God. We come to know ourselves. We begin to grow into becoming the people we have, he has called us to be. And now we begin to spill into the lives of others by living outward. And so you see this back at Matthew 22, Jesus says that, yeah, you love God and you love your neighbor. And so I think the question for us then is, what does it look like to live out this mission? And so as a, as a church, we we've see that God calls us to lead people to experience new life in Jesus, and we've developed a strategy around it. And so on your, on your little coaster, you'll see that it's to know, grow, serve, and go. This is how we experience that new life in our life. This is how we help each other experience that new life in Jesus, and this is how we help people on who have have not experienced that new life yet to see it and live it and taste and see that it's good. So we see that God has called us to live upward, inward, and outward, but how do we do that? And and I think if we're going to truly love our neighbor right, we need to learn to ask the question, who really is my neighbor? And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, where Jesus gives us a very clear picture on who our neighbor is. And for some of you, this may be the first time you've heard this story. For others, you may have heard it many times, but what I hope you see today is that Jesus is so clear on the mission he's given us and what it looks like to truly love the people that God has placed around us. So grab your Bibles. We'll be in Luke chapter 10 uh, for our time this morning. It's, Luke is uh, a parallel. Luke 10 is a parallel of what we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 22. Very similar um, depending upon the scholar, some might say it's the same discussion looked at from a, from a uh, kind of retold from the perspective of the author, uh, including some other details. It could have been a separate discussion that Jesus had with this lawyer. But we see a similar situation where a lawyer comes up to Jesus, and, and this time he doesn't ask him what the most important commandment is. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be alive? To, to live this new life. We look back and say, yeah, Jesus, what does it look like to live this new life we have in you? And Jesus gives, he, he looked at him, he says, well, what does the law say? And so the lawyer, knowing the Old Testament, recalls the Shema. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, that's right. He says, now go and do it. And so the, we see this picture, this lawyer's got this internal struggle, and he wants to say, okay, well then, who's my neighbor? Who is this person I'm supposed to love like myself? And then Jesus launches into what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, just a little disclaimer. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you see Jesus ask a question, watch out. He's getting ready to launch into some good stuff. And if Jesus tells a story, he's about to do heart surgery. Just, just know that. Anytime he's going to give us a story, he's about to, to, to cut us up a little bit and show us ourselves. And what we see here in the parable of the Good Samaritan is Jesus do that exact Thing. So look with me here, the, the uh, verse, let's see, verse um, 29, he, the, the lawyer says, you know, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says here in verse 30, he says this, he says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Verse 35, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you, more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And then verse 36, this is great. This is the kicker here. Jesus says this, which of these three, he's asking the lawyer again, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And so the lawyer says, well, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, the words of Jesus, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Lord, I, I pray today you uh, help us to, to see the, the truth. Um, help us to see the, uh, this, this picture that you're showing us of, of ourselves, Lord, and, and how you call us to, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and what it truly looks like to do that. Lord, well, Lord, I pray as we finish up this mission on this, this, this series on clarity, as we finish up talking about this mission you've called us on to help others experience new life in Jesus, Lord, that you'll just give us, uh, just, just, Lord, light a fire in our hearts. Help us to want to be these types of people who are ever growing in our affection for you, who come to know ourselves and come to love ourselves and embrace the, the, the person you've created me to be and to live into that so you can shape me and mold me. And then, Lord, help that to spill out into the way I treat other people, into the way I love my neighbor. And as a church, help us to see how we can do this clearly and to be the people you created us to be together. So, Father, I just want to ask that you walk with us, Lord. We know in this room we have people who are walking through really tough seasons. Lord, we, we know all around this country and around this world there's families who have been moving through such difficult times. Lord, so, Lord, we pray for peace and comfort and encouragement. Lord, as we know you're doing a mighty work in our hearts. So, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and help us to leave today looking more like Jesus than when we came. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Luke chapter 10. You know, there's so much going on in this parable. And, and some of you, like I said earlier, may have read this parable many times, maybe so familiar with it. Some of you, this might be the first time that you're being kind of walking through it before. And, and there's so much here. We could spend a month walking through the parable of the Good Samaritan. But, but here, here's, I think, at, at the most basic level what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. He's saying being a neighbor means showing mercy and compassion to people in need around us. Like, that, that, that's really at, at the heart of, of what Jesus is saying, is that being a neighbor, being the person Jesus called us to be, to love our neighbors, is, is showing mercy and compassion to the people in need around us. And so here's the picture. Notice the picture Jesus gives us. There's a man who's traveling. He's walking on a dangerous road. And on that dangerous road, he gets, he gets attacked. He gets robbed. He gets stripped. He's laying there, just beaten, half dead, laying in a ditch. And it's just kind of a shock. And so imagine you're the crowd that day. You, you're the crowd, and you're hearing Jesus tell the story. That's a shocking intro to a story. Where Jesus, where are you going with this? And so Jesus says, here's the picture. This guy's laying half dead in a ditch, and then a priest walks by. And if you are in the crowd that day, a priest is a great guy. The priest was a really good guy. And so you look at that, and you say, oh, man, well, let me hear. I want to hear about how this priest is going to rescue this guy. This is going to be great. But what does he do? Jesus says he, 
He walks on by. You can look back at verse 31. The, the priest just walks on by. And we don't know why he walks by. Jesus doesn't tell us. It could be that he thought the man was dead. And in those days, it would be ceremonially unclean for a priest to touch a dead body. And so in his mind, maybe I'm just going to walk on by because this guy's already dead. Maybe he was late to a meeting, right? He, he got that reminder on his phone, and he was late to a very important date, and he was in a hurry. He had to get there. Maybe he thought that there was somebody better, somebody stronger, somebody more equipped or more qualified to help. So he figured somebody else was going to take care. Whatever it was, whatever reason it was, he passed by. Okay, here comes the Levite. Jesus goes on. Well, now a Levite passes by. Now, now a priest would be like a modern-day pastor. Think of that as a modern-day pastor. A Levite was people that worked uh, often in, in, in the temple, did ceremonial things. And so imagine a church staff member. So, again, really good person, really good person, walks by. You'd think, okay, well, the priest skipped by. But the Levite, Jesus is going to teach us something about the Levites now. But what does the Levite do? Skirts right by too. And we don't know why. Probably the same reasons that the priest had. But we see now there's really two good guys that culturally, people, two people that, that the culture looks up to, and yeah, they're a little rigid when it comes to rule keeping, but these are the priests, and these are the Levites, these are the people we trust. But they walked right by. They didn't help this guy who's lying in the ditch. Why? Why didn't they stop? Well, I think Jesus is wanting us to see they didn't stop because they didn't see the need. See, Jesus is teaching us something here about loving people, about loving our neighbor. And he really kind of breaks out into three elements. But the first one is this, that, that Jesus shows us that loving our neighbor starts with seeing the need. Like here's two normal people, good people that you think would stop, but they don't. Why? They didn't see the need. I read a story earlier this week about a situation that happened in New York City. Uh, it was uh, last February, so February 2020, before the world changed. And th- this group of people were standing at a subway terminal in New York City, and there was a man who just fell off the platform. They think he had a health issue. seemed like something was going on. He just fell off the platform onto the tracks. And so immediately there's a couple uh, people who are standing there with him who think, well, we got to act, right? We have to do something. So one of the guys jumps down on the track and, and grabs the man. Another guy jumps down the track, runs to the end where the train's coming, and starts flagging the train down. Like, stop, stop, stop. The train stopped, thankfully. Praise God. Another guy is, is on the edge of the, of the terminal platform helping get the guy up. And when the guy gets up, he actually tries to fist fight that guy, which is really weird. The guy's trying to save your life, but whatever. So the cops come, they whisk him away to the hospital. And the article says, good Samaritans rescue man from subway track. See, those were good Samaritans. Those were good guys that rescued a guy in a really bad situation. You guys have probably been in a situation before where you've seen a good Samaritan. Maybe you've been a good Samaritan. Culturally, we think of good Samaritans as these heroes. That's what we're going to see in the story, right? The hero that comes in and and helps somebody, that comes in and rescues somebody that is in a really bad situation. But I'm not sure that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. I don't know that Jesus is trying to get us to see that a good Samaritan is a hero. So I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to get us to see ourselves in this story. The Good Samaritan is the hero, for sure. But Jesus is trying to pull us into the story to help us to see that we ourselves are in this parable. Let me ask you, why didn't Jesus go straight to the Good Samaritan? Like, Jesus could have been like, hey, there was a man who fell amongst robbers. And he was in a ditch, lying for dead. He didn't have any clothes on. It was a really weird situation. And here comes a Samaritan, and the Samaritan rescued him. 
And everybody would be, oh, right? But why does he bring in the priest and the Levite into this story? Well, see, I think Jesus wants us to see that, that sometimes good guys and good gals and good people just miss it. That sometimes we just don't see the story. We just don't see the need. That I think Jesus is showing us that sometimes good people just walk on by when they shouldn't. See, the priest and the Levite, they were good guys, but yet they walked on by. Why? Because they didn't see the need. And if you asked that priest or Levite afterwards and you said, hey, how come you didn't stop? And they'd tell you, well, I had this reason or I had that reason. You probably would go, oh, okay, that's a pretty good reason, right? Somebody else was, gonna, was right behind you, whatever it was. See, the good Samaritan saw the need where the other guys didn't. And it's what's so shocking about this story. If you guys are familiar with this parable, or if you guys are familiar with the relationships between the Jews and Samaritans, you know that was a, an ugly, messy relationship. Pastor Darren talked about this a couple of months ago when we talked about loving our neighbor. The, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They didn't like each other at all. There was a lot of history right there. And, um, and, and so there, there was just it's such a messy situation. They had centuries of political division you know, the, 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 the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel split, and Samaria became the capital of Israel, the northern kingdom. They politically had this hatred that was happening for each other in the ninth century. So this is 900 years almost of hatred, political division going on. But there was also spiritual division. When Israel went and split from Judah, the northern kingdom, they put a temple for, to worship Baal, the, a false god. And so there was this hatred now. These were, these, were not, uh, these were not brothers and sisters now in the faith. These people worshiped false gods. And so there was this spiritual division. But there was also racial division. Assyria in 772 B.C. came in and, and um, captured the northern kingdom of Israel and took captive a bunch of people from Israel and brought in people from Babylon and other places. And the people of, in Samaria and Israel began intermarrying with these people. And so Jews arrogantly said, those people were not full-blooded Jews, and therefore they don't matter to us. There was racial prejudice. It was ugly. It was nasty. So look at this story Jesus is bringing up here by bringing the Samaritan in. You've got centuries of political and national division. You've got centuries of spiritual division. And you've got centuries of racial prejudice. You say, Jesus, if you could only tell a story that was relevant to our day, right? Like, if the Bible only was relevant to what we go through today. I don't know that anything is more relevant than this, than the good Samaritan, this parable. So in this situation, and understanding the context is key because it brings to light. This is why when we study God's word, we need to have context. Otherwise, we miss it. So this story would have been so shocking to the crowd. They would have had no, they would have just been actually probably mad at Jesus for making the Samaritan the hero. But notice the Samaritan sees the need. Look at verse 33. Notice what the Samaritan does. The Samaritan comes upon this man, but he doesn't go to the other side of the road like the Levite or the priest does. What does he do? He has compassion. See, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is showing us that being a neighbor, again, is having compassion and mercy on the people in need around us. The, the Samaritan sees this, and he has compassion. So I want to just push pause for a second. I want to ask the question, what does this look like in our life, to have compassion on people in need? Now, now I realize that most of us aren't walking to work on a windy road with a bunch of robbers, and we could fall into to, to, you know, a, a terrible situation like this. But 
What, what does this look like in our life? What does this look like when we hear about that friend down the street who has a health challenge, whose family member just found out they're struggling with cancer? What happens when we hear uh, maybe somebody at work lets it slip that they're having financial troubles? Or you hear from your kid that there's a parent on the soccer team that's going through a divorce? Or, or you personally know somebody or hear about somebody at work that is, is suffering, being, being marginalized because of the color of their skin? What, what do you do? How, how do we respond to this? Do we see the need? See, the Samaritan did. And the Samaritan saw the need, and he went into action. Notice the second thing that Jesus shows us about loving our neighbor. It's that loving your neighbor requires overcoming the barriers. See, you can see the need, but you've got to actually move and act and overcome the barrier. Notice what he did. Notice all of the barriers. Look back at verse 34. Notice what he did. He, he bound, he, first, he, he goes to the guy that's laying naked and half dead in the ditch, which is tough enough on its own. Then he goes and he binds up his wounds. He pours oil and wine on, it, on his wounds. Then he sets him on his animal, probably a donkey, and, and he brings him to the hotel and, and he flops down his credit card and he says, take care of this guy for me, okay? Take care of this guy. So three men walk by. Only one shows him love. Why was that? Well, because he saw the need and he overcame the barrier. I want to ask you a question, and I don't want you to feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I ask myself the same question. But just think about the needs that we see around us. What barriers are in our way? Like, what barrier is in your life right now that you, you know there's a need, you know you need to overcome, but that barrier keeps holding you back? I think we all have barriers. There's different barriers in our life. Often we see the need, but that ends up being where we stop because there's a barrier that makes us think, well, maybe I'm not the right person to help, or maybe I don't have the time to do it. Maybe there's somebody else who's more qualified to help in this situation than I am. You know, if you think about it, the, the barriers that, that we often face, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the barriers that we often face, they're, they're probably not a situation that you can't overcome. You know, often people think, well, it's a financial barrier, but typically you can connect them to an organization that will help. So maybe it's not financial. What, what are the barriers? Well, I can tell you in my life, it's inconvenience. It's discomfort. It's messiness. It's, 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 I think for a lot of us, it's, it's history. There, there's a lot of different factors that, that play into it. It's the complexity. Sometimes it is time. Maybe it's this person's living a lifestyle I don't agree with, or this person over here voted for the other guy, and I just can't overcome that barrier. But Jesus is saying that the barriers are not good excuses, that those barriers have to be overcome. And this is why Jesus, I think, gives us this story and brings the Samaritan in, because he shows us that it's not about... It's not about just seeing the need. You have to act. You have to overcome that barrier. It doesn't matter if they agree with us if they agree with us politically, if they think like us and live like us spiritually, if they look like us, if they live by us, it, all that matters is, do you see somebody who has a need? And are they in front of you? Because if so, then Jesus is calling you to love them like your neighbor. Jesus is calling us to act. Tim Keller says that not everyone is your brother or your sister in the faith, but everybody is your neighbor. And Jesus says, if you want to love people like I am calling you to love people and to love them and lead them to new life, then you have to see the need and overcome the barrier. But also, you have to learn to open up your life. See, Jesus is saying that loving our neighbor requires opening up our lives 
It means not holding so tight-fisted to those things like time and inconvenience and, and those other things that we hold dear. It means opening it up so we can love and help and care for someone else. Look what the Samaritan did. This guy didn't need to do any of this stuff. But notice what he does. Again, verse 34 and 35. He binds wounds, puts oil on him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, throws his credit card down, says, take care of him. When I come back, I'll pay the rest of the tab. You notice Jesus is saying to us here that loving our neighbor is going to cost us something. That loving our neighbor is going to hurt that loving our neighbor means there's a price to pay. It could be financially. A lot of time it's time or it's, it's serving someone else. A lot of times it, it's going to cost you. It's, it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be complex. It's going to be messy. But there's a price to pay. But when we can learn to open up our lives and just say, look, here I am. Or I'm here to help, whatever that looks like. Jesus says that's what it looks like to truly love your neighbor. And then notice what Jesus says in verse 36. Jesus tells this story. The crowd is mad. The crowd is shocked. I'm sure they're upset. And then Jesus looks at them and he says, well, which one of these three guys was the one that loved his neighbor? And the lawyer, Darren brought this up a few months ago, the lawyer couldn't even come to say the Samaritan, right? Because that would just be terrible to say that because he's hated Samaritans so much. So he says, well, that guy, the one who showed him mercy. And what does Jesus say? Five words. Take those to heart. Yes, he says, you go and do likewise. Those are maybe some of the most five powerful words in life, in the Bible. If you want to learn to live outward, how do you do it? You have to go and do likewise. So Jesus says to us, go and do likewise. Those are powerful words. And if, if you want to ask the question, okay, how do we take what Jesus says about loving our neighbor off the pages of the Bible and onto the pages of our heart and into our neighborhoods and into this church and into our workplaces and into this community? How do we do it? It's by going and doing likewise. Jamie Dickens, he's a pastor in Georgia. He says this. He says that a good Samaritan isn't a term Jesus coined to describe heroes. It's a term he used to describe Christians. That the Good Samaritan is a term for people who go and do likewise. And he says that we are people who are living upward, inward, and outward need to go and do likewise. We need to be people who see the need, overcome the barrier, and open up our lives. So here's the question. How do we do this? Here's the question. If God has called us on this mission as a church to lead people to experience new life in Jesus, then what does it look like for us? As God's people, as people who are, who are growing in our affection for Jesus or people who are coming to know and to love ourselves so that we can go love our neighbor, what does it look like for us to go and do likewise? How do we live outward? Well, really quickly as we close, I think it comes in two ways. It comes from by, ref, by, by reflecting and responding. Being reflective and being responsive. Here's what I mean. As people who have had Jesus reveal himself to us, as people who have experienced this new life in Jesus ourselves, the people who have seen and tasted that, that, that God's love and mercy and compassion and generosity are good, we then reflect that to the lives of other people. We then show that into the lives of others. And so as a church, we do this in the way we serve. So one of the ways, that, the way we reflect the love of God is we reflect the love of God when we serve. That when we serve other people. 
You know, it's, uh, it's really cool if you think about it. God has strategically placed you here. God has strategically placed you as part of the Forefront family. God has strategically placed you in your workplace. God has strategically placed you in your neighborhood because he plans to use you to reach and to serve and to care for everybody in your circle. Isn't it crazy to think about that? That the people in your life, is not, they're not there by accident. That God has put you there for a region, specifically and strategically. And so we have to ask, what does it look like then for us to be able to love them like our neighbor in the way that we serve them? I was reading some studies this week about economic uh, demographics in the Denver area. And, and some of you, I'm sure you've, you've read some of this before, but it, it really stands out to you. You live in a place as beautiful as we live in Denver. You, you live in a place where you can drive this way, this way, this way, and this way, and there's million-dollar houses. You live in a place that is four out of the top five places in America to live right now, but yet one out of eight kids are facing food scarcity. 13% of kids are hungry, don't have enough food to eat during the day. Denver is facing a homeless crisis, a homelessness crisis, because the cost of rent is so expensive in our city. 25% of families, one out of every four families you know, do not earn enough to cover rent, transportation, child care, and health care costs. And one of the greatest indicators of how people are doing economically is looking at free and reduced lunches. It's all free. It's all free data. You can go out there and look at this. In Denver public schools, in Denver County, 62% of students, 64% of students are on free and reduced lunch. In Inglewood, just down the road, 62% on free and reduced lunch. If you go north to Adams County, 83% of kids are on free and reduced lunch. And if you go over to Jeffco, which is a massive district with 15 different high schools and multi-million dollar houses, one-third of kids are on free and reduced lunch. What does that tell you? There are needs all around the city. People are hurting, and that's even before the pandemic took over. Those are 2019's numbers. I'm sure those numbers have gone up. You look at this city that we live in, there's needs all around us. So where do we begin? What do we do? God's placed you. God has put you here and in your workplace and in your neighborhood to be the kind of person that loves your neighbor and helps them during these difficult times. So where do we start? We believe as a church we start right here. We believe as a church this is why God has brought us together, that we can serve together and that we reflect the love of God that God has shown us to other people. So we believe God is calling us to serve the church, to serve the city, and to serve the world. That God has put us in a place where when we begin to serve here and we begin as a church to go out there and to love people in this city and in this world, God then changes us and shapes us. And we begin to love and serve on our people next door and our neighbors and the coworkers and the people that God has placed in our lives. And see, here's the crazy part. God has taken your story and my story and your story and your story and the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then he interweaves them together so that together we can reflect the love of God to others. Isn't that crazy? That God decides to use us? Well, he does. And this is how he plans to care for the people that have needs. We can show compassion. So I want you to ask the question, where do you see the need? Because I think you'll see needs all around you. As we leave today, I want to encourage you guys to stop in the lobby. In the lobby, we're going to have a ministry meet and greet. 
And so for those of you that may be in a place right now where you're, you're, you're not serving, you, you don't um, have a, a, maybe a place that you're, you're pouring yourself into here at Forefront, I want to encourage you to find one because there's needs all around you. There's going to be ministries in the lobby on the way out today that have needs for you to fill that would love for you to take a part in how God is using us to lead people to experience new life. So on your way out, stop. Say hi to some of our leaders. It's, an, it, it's a really encouraging time as we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel, and we're beginning to see open, things open back up in our, in our community that we can go out and serve and love on people and help show them the love of Jesus. Because I, I'm going to go on a limb here, and I'm going to say this. If right now in your life you feel a little dry, you feel a little empty, you feel like you really aren't experiencing this new life we keep talking about, then it could be that you're not pouring yourself into the lives of others. And if you're not serving, then you're going to end up feeling that dryness. God wants to use you to reach somebody else and to love somebody else and to care for somebody else. And it starts by you just stepping out, seeing the need, and overcoming the barrier, whatever and however good that reason is. That's how God's going to use you to begin to experience new life in Jesus. Remember, God doesn't call to qualify. What does he do? He qualifies the called. So if God's called you into this, don't worry about what skills you have and what you don't have. God will give you what you need. So God says we reflect the love of God, the love of Jesus when we serve. But also, he says this, we respond to the love that we have received when we go. That we share the hope of Jesus when we go. So this, this, this fills out our strategy of know, grow, serve, and go. That God is working in us and through us in the way we serve each other and the way that we go and tell others about the hope of Jesus Christ. Converge, our church network, recently did a study to look at uh, the, the, the unchurched and the dechurched populations in Denver and Wyoming in this area. And here's what they found. They found that 86% of people are unchurched in Colorado. 86, really high number. What do you think, Denver, higher or lower? Denver, 93% of people in Denver are unchurched. That means that 93 people out of 100 that you meet aren't part of a a Bible-believing, Jesus-focused, Christ-centered church. On top of that, we got 100,000 people moving to Colorado a year who are building new houses, who are buying old houses and scraping them down, who are putting up new homes all over the place, which, by the way, quit putting up Bradford pears, right? They just blow over when it snows too much. Like, we need some real trees, Right? Can I get an amen for that? We need some real trees in this country, in, in this part of the world. But there's 100,000 people moving into this city all the time, but they're saying now, uh, church, um, church leadership experts are saying that, that um, 20 to 30% of all churches are going to close now because of COVID, that churches have closed and aren't going to reopen. So here's the question. Who is going to reach the 93% of people that are unchurched in our community? Who's going to reach the 100,000 people that are moving here a year? A year? We are. That this is what God has called us to. That God has called us to be the ones that go and to be the ones that show and share the love of Jesus to everybody else. See, if you take anything away from what we're talking about today, it's this. I want you to know that God has placed somebody around you. It's a friend. It's somebody in your neighborhood at work. God has placed somebody around you that Jesus is going to save, that Jesus died for. That Jesus came and saw the need and overcome the, came the barrier and opened up his life like he did for us. There's somebody in your circle, close to you, that Jesus came to die for and is going to save. And he wants you to do it. But he's not going to force you to. He wants you to be a part 
of what he is doing. We have to decide and make the decision to go. See, God has a plan for this neighborhood and this church and your workplace. And that plan is you. It's like David Platt says. He says, God's, God, uh, he says the church is God's plan A for the world, and there is no plan B. You're God's plan A. And so here's what I always want to end with. I'm going to invite the band back on stage. Here's where I want to camp out at. This week, as you go out and, and, and go, through, um, go through life and interact with the circles of people God has brought around you, I want you to ask these questions. Where do you see the need? What needs do you see in, 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 in this church or in this community, in your workplace? And then what barriers do you need to overcome? What barriers do you know in your life that hold you back? Maybe it is time or it's inconvenience. Whatever it is, what barrier do you need to overcome? And finally, where do you need to open up your life? Where are you holding too tight? Where are your fists too closed that God wants to use you to love your neighbor outside? Because I believe when we ask these questions and we commit to serve and to go, God does something beautiful. God does something special inside of us. God begins to help us truly experience new life in Jesus. And he uses us to help others experience it too. So let's pray. God, help me to be these type of people. Let's pray.